Thank you very much, Chris, for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me on. I mean, I've lucky enough to come on once before to go on twice. It's uh, it's an honour. So, thank you very much. Yeah, you're you're only my second repeat customer. <laughs> oh, really? oh wow! Oh, that's a huge yeah. honour. Oh no, I better, I better not pop this up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so and it's an international call, right? So I'm based in the United States right now, and you're in the UK. Yes, it's the, yeah. the Transland, uh, transatlantic corridor they're talking about at the moment we're, we're representing, right? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right, that's right. Both of us British. Your handle on Instagram and right is uh, British Bond Addict. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I get nationality and my obsession out of the way quite quickly. So. <laughs> cool, and, and I'm Fleming Never Dies. Um, so I think the first time we called, I was in China and you were in the UK. The time zones were a lot less friendly. Yes, yes, it's very. I think it's quite early for me and quite late for you. And I think it's it's quite early for me after quite a late night previously. <laughs> <laughs> it was a week off. I was going to ask actually, just talking about the handles quickly. Where did um Fleming Never Dies come from? Was that just something you kind of picked and liked, or was it a specific uh, choice? Yeah, so I was coming up with all kinds of different titles, kind of riffs on the Bond movie titles, really. Um, and it was really the fact that I wanted it to be uh, more of an in Fleming focused account. Like, I really focused on the books, so I was going through all the recipes. I was going through license to cook at the time. Nice. Um, I love reading through the books and finding all the odd things. You know, whether it's a black knitted tie, I mean, there's not much reference to to clothes in the in the books. It's more places, and often, like from much of love, I've been to many of those places, and food and drink. Um, yeah. So it really, so yeah, mm. we wouldn't all have this strange hobby we have. Yes, I always find the thing interesting as well, especially when you just talk about clothes there quickly. How in the film it's not really uh, in the book, sorry, it's not really much of a focus. He wears his he wears his outfit. There you go. And we've something of something I've especially picked up on Instagram. There's this huge thing about like you know styling and looking like Bond. Obviously, very stylish individual. But it's always interesting reading the books and seeing how much he really didn't care too much as long as it was functional. He was happy. Uh, I always love how much it's one of one of the things between book and film that's adapted quite massively. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And the food's almost completely dropped. Oh, yeah. That's, I think the alcohol content has been, well, it's either stayed if not exaggerated. Um, but yeah, the food thing, you you never really see Bond cooking. I mean, you saw Harry Palmer cooking in the Ipris file, but you never saw it in, um, you've not really seen it in a Bond film in any way, shape or form. That's right. That's right. Uh, we've only seen it in, what, uh, A View to a Kill. We yes, saw a quiche. And now in California, and you cook a quiche in California to get that James Bond tick. Exactly. Quiche in California were two bottles of red wine, too. I mean, they were going for it. They were. They <laughs> <laughs> looking after each other, those two. Yeah. Casey <laughs> Sutherland to Bond in Bond. Or James Stock, as he is in that one. Yes, yeah. And um, St. Uh, James Smythe as well at some point earlier on, too. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like the cover names we go for. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's a good one. I like Roger Moore when he's much older. Uh, oh, really? Uh, he's, yeah. I, for me, that's really an image of Bond. Because, like in the eighties, you've got all these young muscular heroes, and he's quite a difference, right? Yeah. And I always like, yeah, just open. That's the thing. I've I quite like Roger Moore's. I've definitely in the last couple of years or so, especially with some of the friends I've made online, started to appreciate Roger Moore a bit more. I got caught up in the whole sort of Daniel Craig of everything has to be serious, and then kind of realizing that actually quite a few of these Bond films are fun as well. Like I've always quite liked Three Eyes Only, and um, Live and Let Die has always been my favorite Roger Moore film just because of some personal uh, connotations there. Um, but stuff like View to Kill. I'm definitely enjoying it a lot more than I used to. Um, and there's some certain <laughs> scenes in both View to Kill and definitely some scenes in Octopussy, which I think are very high caliber Bond. I just kind of wish they played into the age bit a little bit more because in Octopussy, he's just kind of getting away with it. But then after the plastic surgery in View to a Kill, it's very noticeable. And it starts off well with the scene we're talking about. When he first um, when he first has dinner with Stacey and he puts her to bed, it's kind of like nice and parental. It's kind of going in a nice way and then it just reverts back into, well, Q getting this pervy spy bot to look at them in the shower <laughs> uh, so yeah i've i've always been intrigued by like if that film was done slightly differently if it'd be perceived a lot more because whenever you talk about view to kill everyone always talked about roger moore's age first and he still pulls it off i know they had to bring in patrick mcnee to get an older person to make him look a bit younger in comparison but he still got it he still had it <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I do like personally i like like it having the, the mature action hero right so at the moment we've got kind of very muscular action heroes it's generally right even if you take marvel or bond or whatever who have i would say emotional issues often parental <laughs> issues yeah <laughs> is it too far to say kind of teenage angsty issues it is a little bit yeah men with uh, with very angsty issues whereas here's the other way around right so when he's clinging from the fire truck in um, a beautiful kill or when he's clinging from the train in octopussy 
I feel he's in peril. This is a 50-year-old man who should be at home watching cat videos. And yeah. here he cleans the side of a moving vehicle. But I kind of feel more for it mm. in those action scenes because of his age. I think in some cases, well, it's like it's kind of done just the right amount. I think you're right. The train scene is very well done because when he does jump over, it's not like a huge jump. It's kind of like a hop, skip and a jump. So it's like, OK, believable. Then when he's clinging to the plane and the undersiders are doing the 360s, even though that is one of the best stunts in the series, it does get a little bit. OK, there's no way Roger Moore <laughs> or someone of Roger Moore's age and fitness would would be doing that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I just started reading the 007 diaries, right? It's Roger Moore's thing. And... Um, and it was kind of, there's one line that stood out to me, and it stood out to me less if I hadn't been listening to, I think, from Taylors of Love when they got John Glenn on. And John oh, yeah. Glenn made odd references. Roger Moore always liked to keep in shape, which kind of surprised me, because he would always downplay this kind of thing, and you know, he'd make a great deal of jokes about, you know, oh, I don't do my own stunts and all that. Um, I, do own, I do my own kissing. Um, <laughs> like of course. In the 007 Diaries, he's referencing his morning workout routine, and when you see pictures of him shirtless, I occasionally do. He's actually quite fit for a man in his 40s, 50s and so on. So he it's must quite... have kept him fit. He just doesn't talk about it much. It's interesting because when I'm, I remember reading this somewhere, and I'm not particularly sure where, so I'll, I'll try and quote what I can. Um, but he started. He was with the Persuaders uh, before he went into um, uh, Bond right before. And right going into Bond, he was asked to lose a bit of weight, which apparently he was very pissed off about at the time. Yeah. And if you watch the episode of Persuaders, he's obviously carrying a little bit more. Like, not in any way, shape or form bad. I mean, he looks fantastic. But he's asked to lose a little bit more, and that must have pissed him off. And It did piss him off, sorry. I'm wondering if that was the thing that caused him to be like, okay, I've now lost, I'm going to keep in this shape then. Because I've seen quite, as you say, you just, you come across pictures like that back then. But you're, I've also seen pictures when he was a, like, knitwear model and he's got some fitness things for that, because he had the most immense jawline. So he must have been keeping fit back then. <laughs> And there's that there's that old TV there's old TV show Western and there's the I forgot what it's called. Do you know what it's called? Oh, yes. No, no, I'm blanking. There's one sorry. with quite a, quite a few famous actors in it, but there's one typical shot of him. And I swear you could you could like I don't know you could probably cut your finger just based on how sharp that jawline is. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was I heard a similar thing, and again I can't remember where it is that he was told lose weight and get a haircut. Mm. Um, but I always wondered. If they'd had that experience with uh, George Lazenby, who had been so difficult to control and so on, and eventually had been dropped kind of mutually, it sounds like. Yeah. Where they kind of said that to Roger Moore as a test. But if he'd flounced off, it would have been right, no, you're not the guy for us because we can't work with you. But the fact that he was willing to be obedient. Yeah. Yeah, following off um, George Lazenby turning up to the premiere with a beard, all that sort of stuff. So actually, we don't need this issue again. Let's ask him to do something like, it's a little bit out there, but it's completely reasonable. Let's see how he reacts and then we'll decide from that. That's always been my pet theory. Interesting. That's, I like that theory. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, I guess it stayed with him. Because um, I say, he, he keeps in pretty good shape. I mean, I say he's 58. Is he in the a Yeah. Pretty good nick for most. I think most 58 year olds would be happy to be in a similar nick to him. Obviously, yeah. I prefer th- Daniel Craig. But, you know. <laughs> most people consider him younger than 58 before. I'd be quite happy to be in that shape, mm. to be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. So that's what I say. For me, he gets away with it. And as I say, he's a kind of a mature character. So he mentioned um, the All Eyes Only. So that scene where he lays flowers on his wife's uh, grave yes. and then gives the advice to Melina, you know, before you set out on revenge, first uh, dig two graves. Yeah. Um, it shows the maturity of the Bond character. And uh, with um, with BB as well. Uh, the <laughs> down that rather um, unsubtle offer, shall we say. <laughs> Would you close on buy your ice cream? Buy an ice cream. <laughs> That's one of my favourite lines. <laughs> it's brilliant, but it's brilliantly uncomfortable. I love it. It's just like, oh! It's just, it's a shame that we went from that and then to him eventually bedding Stacey Sutton. Like, that's it. If that had been the trend of like the mature Bond and the more like paternal way, it would have been quite interesting. But yeah. yeah. We, still see, we, still see, we still see glimpses of it either way. We do. I wonder if Stacey Sutton had been portrayed by an older actress. Um... Well, that's that's possible. Part of the thing I love a lot about Octopus is that Maud Adams, even though she's still considerably younger than um, uh, than Roger, uh, because it's a because she's a she's not an older woman at that stage. Because it's slightly older than the average young person they play to be Bond. She's mature, There's, right? I mean, she, yeah, she's a Bond woman rather than a Bond girl. Bond woman. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think with that, with the with the slight increase in age, there was also more experience of acting. And her and Roger Moore bounce off each other so fantastically, way more than they do in um, Man with the Golden Gun. And I think that kind of it gives it a nice validity in a way because it seems it's two experienced actors bouncing off each other, like um, uh, Telly Savalas and Diana Rigg in um, uh, Magic's oh, yeah. Secret Service. It can make a scene quite well, and the scenes with Roger and Maud, I completely buy. It's quite nice, but then the scenes with him yeah. and Stacey, it's just it just falls flat in a few cases. 
Yeah, I go with that. Yeah, I know musical isn't most people's favorite film. It's then, it's interesting. It's 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 one that's become you know what it's a good piece of fun to watch. Like I I kind of forgot how much I watched it when I was younger because it's one of the films that like as I got older I got to watch more and more of the Bond itinerary and my parents were always like you can watch Rita Kill that's a that's an okay one that's absolutely fine. So I watched that quite a lot and I'd probably fall asleep by halfway through the first one because I was like six years old I don't know. <laughs> and um, it's stuff like that and I always I've actually got quite a decent memory of that film and then of course with the whole influx of you know watching espionage films and watching you know other films as well as i kind of put it to one side for a bit but i recently realized how much i know about that film and and yeah how much it is actually a good piece of fun like i've changed my mind in recent years definitely but i will put my hands up and say you know what it's enjoyable all right <laughs> and i have to raise it just for donnie waldron reasons <laughs> I know has a special place for that film. <laughs> I say, if, he, if he hears, if he hears this, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I already am, I'm sure. <laughs> but then I, I love—I mean, one of my favourite Roger Moore films. In fact, my favourite, absolutely hands down, is *The Man of the Golden Gun*. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Oh, by far my favourite. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's maybe the setting. I absolutely love. And then all the characters. I do find, you know, Maud Adams's role and Brevetkin's role, Nick Nett, Christopher Lee. I find them strong characters. Um, aside from the plot, you know, I do yeah. enjoy the jolly good plot. I think there's also there's some moments of that film where it's just fun to like it's not not fun to watch it's actually quite slick to watch and the scene where Bond's coming out of the club and you've got Scaramanga with the almost Venetian blind effect mm-hmm. there's parts like that which are iconic Bond and him and Scaramanga back to back before the duel there's so many bits like that where actually yeah there's quite a bit of Man of the Gone and Gun that does stand out for being good um, there's a few things that don't sit with me particularly well in a few cases um, like the the flying car um for, for a moment i'm not really too sure as to why that's there um sheriff jw pepper who i love in live and let die and i think he's brilliant in live and let die it is a bit shoehorned in here but as a continuation i can understand it and i'm happy to i'm happy to forgive it and also because i know lots of people who find that scene thoroughly enjoyable so i i, I, I actually prefer him in the man with golden gun so really live, yeah I, i'm not a I know this may be a shock. I'm not a huge fan of Live and Let Die. That's not my favourite film, but actually quite a long way. Maybe it's the setting or the, the characters. Or, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It just doesn't gel. Maybe it's too 70s for me, because I know a lot yeah. of people love it as a 70s nostalgia piece, and it just doesn't connect with me. Whereas The Man of the Golden Gun is kind of a bit more timeless, I guess, for me. Yeah. Um, Man of the Golden Gun, you're similar to um, my dad. My One of my dad's favourites is Man of the Golden Gun. And when I was younger, there were basically three films in circulation, which were his three favourites, which was Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, and Man of the Golden Gun. So I know those films ridiculously well. And <laughs> while they are of changing quality in some cases, uh, yeah. I know them because they were just on in the background all the time. And Man mm. of the Golden Gun was one of them where that would probably be the one I'd sit down and watch the most with him. If it was on, like, if, to be fair, if there was a Bond film on, I'd sit down and watch it. Yeah. Um, but it'd be like, okay, uh, how, how tempted am I to skip all of my homework to watch this film? And Man <laughs> of the Golden Gun was always quite high. I mean, it's, it, in my overall rankings, it's does, it's doesn't really, it doesn't really suffer. But I do, I do enjoy it. I do, I do enjoy it. But there's a few changes I'd make. But it's, it's a good film. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's always a fun avenue to go down of how you would change. I always think that's a mark of a good film. Like if I see a bad film, I'm really not interested in how it changes. But if I see a really yeah. good film, I'm often filled with ideas that oh, they could have done this, could have done um, this, could have done that. Yeah. 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 I think Madagascar goes well because um, it's when you have a it's like, it's like with to relate to the view to a kill to have such a good bad guy as well that makes it immediately watchable someone that charismatic is fantastic so yeah for me yeah christopher they do better i mean christopher oh. lee has been in star wars lord of the rings and everything else <laughs> heavy metal band at one point <laughs> yes he became the oldest guy to have a debut heavy metal band i think yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> that, seeing as we're talking about Roger Moore, I'm going to ask one question because there's one, one, there's one Bond film in total really that kind of sticks in my craw a bit. It's Moonraker. I'm, oh, right. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Moonraker because I, I don't like that it was like okay, coming up next after um, uh, Spy Wars, Few Eyes Only, and they changed it just for Star Wars, and mm. it was it was a bit too far this time. Something that has really, really made that stick out more is that Moonraker is my favourite Bond book. The Moonraker book, I think, is sublime. I absolutely love it. So the comparison between the two has really split the gap in how much I don't really like Moonraker very much over the years. So I'll be intrigued to see what you think. Uh, well, in terms of, first of all, the gap between, say, the books and the films, right? The Man of the Golden Gun is a complete gap as well. Oh, um, yeah. But, so I read all through the series in its release order for the first time. Um, so I was kind of 
very, very, you know, I was approaching great trepidation because I loved the film and I knew the book wasn't going to be the same. But when I read it, it was such a different entity. I can enjoy them both totally on their own terms. Yeah. Um, oh, good. Okay. Moonraker, I actually had an issue with it, like a lot of people reading it. It's all set in the UK. But I don't <laughs> know. I, I'm kind of, I, I'm on I'm on the fence about that because obviously I, I don't live in the UK. I haven't spent much of my adult life in the UK. So it was kind of nice to see this, this pottering about the South Ring that's genuinely alien to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did like it. And there's so many unique features of the book. It, it did come out as perhaps a bit like Spy Who Loved Me. It's quite different from many of the others. But it's, it's nice to see Fleming experiment. Like he hasn't yeah. got the Bond formula exactly. He's no. experimenting. As for the film, I mean, yeah, it's not one that I watch a great deal. Maybe because there's that kind of whole... <laughs> issue around it, maybe it's too light, too fun, but when I sat down to watch it last time, I was genuinely surprised how much I enjoyed it. Mm. And I think a big part of it was Roger Moore grounding it. And is it Lois Childs who plays the Yes, Holly Goodhead. Yeah. They both have a quite grounded performance, which kind of pins down the whole film. Oh, interesting. Like, like when Roger Moore sits in the, the G Force generator and is spinning round and round and round and round. When he gets out of that, it's the most shaken you've ever seen him. Yeah. He does, I don't know if it was deliberate either. Oh, I don't know if it's deliberate either. There's a moment where he like he catch he catches his arm in front of his mouth so he can just see his eyes, and it is a look of panic. It's it's Roger Moore for all he, for all the self de, self deprecation he did. He was a fantastic actor. Um, yeah. Um. And I think you make you make a good point about performances. I think it suffers a bit like Die Another Day does suffer for me. The first half is fantastic, and then oh my word, what happens at the end? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because all the all the bits when he meets Drax at the Drax by the way, Lonsdale as Drax is incredible. Completely different from the book, completely different, but fantastic anyway. Um and you got that really dark scene, of course, with the dogs as well, and all those scenes. But then you get the gondola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you gotta I, I can understand, you know, ticking as many boxes as possible, but kind of keep a vibe, I feel. And the guy coming out the coffin with the knives, I don't know, was a little bit far fetched for me. And it's really, I don't mind a far fetched Bond film. But after an introduction, which is quite, you know, sincere, mm. it's a bit strange. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it into that, that thing, I'd say there's a scale of Bond films of theirs, very, very gritty, you know, dark films like Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton. But then there's stuff for kids. You know, this, this yeah. used to be a whole family franchise, right? So the entire family would go and see this. So this one is very much for kids. Um, yeah. I came up on another podcast, some stealing ideas, I can't remember from who. And there's not a lot of stuff <laughs> for young kids. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a niece and nephew, and I'm wondering if, you know, if they're at primary school age, would you sit them down in front of Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace or Spec? Or which, how would you introduce them? Um, yeah, it's interesting as well. We're talking about this, of course, in the 2021 world, where it's massively different to, I'm assuming, the similar sort of time where we were brought up in, well, 90s, 80s, and 90s, and uh, the 2000s, where actually it's kind of bizarrely more acceptable back then. And the thing that got me, I, I was into Bond because my dad watched it, but also playing the Bond video games for the first time, where you're actively going around shooting people. Let's be completely. <laughs> people, and it, was, it wasn't really considered anything. It's obviously a video game, it's not real. Um, but now, uh, with other games like Fortnite, something. That, uh, which some people in the audience may have heard of. Um, it's almost like a red flag to think about. It's quite strange how much it's changed over such a short amount of time and something I feel quite hypocritical about in some ways because I feel like I, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, my dad's generation was running around with pop guns and so on, which made a loud crack. Um, I was living in a very conservative part of the UK, which meant that I could get a very realistic-looking gun. I could get the, the gun caps. But I feel that I was going to, oh, yeah. it was, you had to go to a speciality shop for it. They weren't in Toys R Us or whatever. And they're being phased out and being replaced by non-violent toys. This is the last uh, thing a little boy wants. Yeah. Well, the thing, and also like as well with the cap guns that you're talking about, they're realistically coloured, made a loud bang, gave out smoke and smelled of gunpowder. Yes. <laughs> Everything a little boy wants. And my exactly. dad was being asked by a neighbour, is that okay? And he was like, oh, just don't give the boy any toys. You can guarantee he'll go out, find a stick and start using it as a gun. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, how much do you kind of, you know, nip up by, you know, not promoting it per se, but kind of just making, making an avenue in which you can almost control it? <laughs> I mean, my, my father recalled uh, going to see Dr. No in the cinema. Um, he was living in Aden at the time and was now Yemen. Um, but he was sent along to the cinema by his parents to oh, go see this film, it's an adventure film. But in those days, it was restricted in British colonies. Um, so that meant you had to be over, I think, 18. Um, so as a very wow. simple boy, he was sent in, and the person at the cinema said, hey, how old are you? And he replied, 
13. And they waved him in because he seemed so confident because he didn't know it was restricted. Yeah. <laughs> so he just confidently said his name. Yes, I'm old enough to see a, a film by myself. And in he went. And what he really, really remembered was the scene where, you know, you've had your six, now I have mine. Because yeah. until that point, every single film he'd ever seen, it would have been, now come along nicely, sir, and we'll put you into, into prison or whatever. And the guy would say, ah, oh, he caught me red-handed and so on. Yeah. To see him shooting an unarmed prisoner, that was shocking. And it got a big reaction from the audience. The audience had an intake of breath, and he remembers you know, the, the electric atmosphere in the cinema. And that's now you. <laughs> Universal. Mm. Any, any child can see it. I remember watching it and thinking nothing of it. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. I remember... It's one of those things that definitely it's something that's definitely I've I've grown more appreciation of as I've gotten older. Um, there's quite a bit of subtlety of Doctor No that you don't really pick up until you kind of have an age where you can kind of appreciate the time in which it was set, uh, set time as which is made. Apologies. Um, one thing that always sticks in my mind about um, Doctor No is my uh, my grandparents went to watch it by accident. They went to watch another film and it's completely booked out. They're like, oh, we'll go watch the new James Bond film. Like James Bond was enough of a household name from the books that they knew what it was, but not of course the phenomenon that it is now. And the always the thing they always said stuck to them the most was the gun barrel scene, um, the quietness, the the um, the machine sounds, the gun barrel topping up, and then the gun, the shot, the the blood, and then the music. And they've always said that was like an amazing moment, and then they were hooked. And it seems quite tame in comparison to stuff these days. But of course, you think about the sixties or sixty two, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty new. <laughs> yeah. I think it was equivalent to the time of, you know, the first Star Wars film where the Star Destroyer goes overhead, oh. it stretches on and on and on and on. It's shocking yeah, the absolutely. first time, but the fact that it's been ripped on. Um, perhaps a bit like me watching Monty Python. If I watch the TV shows of Monty Python, then I see kind of, I see things that other comedians have picked up on and taken further. Yeah. And it's quite strange in some ways to watch. It's interesting how sometimes the inspiration you can see is basically just an idea, but exaggerated. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the only exception, really, is the Beatles, where when I listen to it, it's nice. Everyone's taken it and everyone's carried on. But I like listening to the Beatles. Um, although <laughs> although I, I know I upset some people by suggesting that they're not the best people to play it. <laughs> um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I well, like military a... bands playing it. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's the thing. Is, um, Paul McCartney, uh, no, is it, was it Paul McCartney or John Lennon? He once said, um, somebody said, is Ringo Starr one of the best drummers in the world? And he went, he's not the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and of course, we've got, speaking of Bond, we've got the eternal lines from Sean Connery that you can't wear, um, you can't listen to the Beatles without wearing earmuffs. So let's see how well that's aged. <laughs> <laughs> but he's supposed to be a stuffy old conservative and it, it makes sense. I always think that places it perfectly in the time of, yeah, he is an old conservative guy. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Paints him completely well for 1965 at that point, <laughs> or 64, mm. 64. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. As we're going through them, my Goldfinger, I'd say, is probably my favourite Sean Connery film. I'd say it's one I watched over much. From Russia with yeah. Love is probably a more natural default for me. Um, but then there's Man with the Golden Gun. I'm skipping George Lazenby. It's, it's my favourite and least favourite from the man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Timothy Dalton, do you have a strong view? It, it, it gets into eighties. It gets into the time when haircuts look like real haircuts and cars look like real cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, in that case, I know there's only two for two for Dalton. But which one's your favourite? I generally go to License to Kill as my my favourite. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree on that front. Um, yeah, if I'm going to go through quickly, um, for for Connery, Doctor knows my favourite. Strangely, oh. like I think it's because I've watched Goldfinger a lot as a kid, and I do enjoy it, but it. It kind of ticks the boxes too neatly. It's, it's the quintessential Bond film. I can understand why people would say that. It's the, the classic Bond film. But it suffers a little bit from the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, where if you take the main character out, it doesn't suffer too much. Apart from Bond um, taking Pussy to the side of right, shall we say, um, there's not too much that would have changed otherwise. Like, he doesn't even defuse the bomb at the end. Stuff like that, for example. Um, and to, for those who aren't aware, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if they would still open the Ark, Indiana Jones would have, been, would have been there, it would have been the same outcome. Um, with more, I think it's probably Live and Let Die, oh, I say probably, it's definitely Live and Let Die for me. Oh, I just yeah. love watching that film. It's just an easy watch. I really enjoy it. I like how he performs in it. I like the setting. I like the whole kind of voodoo side of things. I, I, I know it's a, I know Bond follows the trends of what's popular at the time, but I think it does black exploitation quite well, so I'm happy to watch it. And I like it as kind of a historical piece in time. I kind of like yeah. watching that part of America. Uh, for Dalton, I completely agree with License to Kill. I am all about License to Kill. Um, 
I've talked to quite a few people who watched it in the 80s and they were saying that because it was kind of Miami Vice was everywhere it just seemed like it was pandering but for someone who never went through that to watch it by itself I I adore it I think it's brilliant and I Timothy Dalton I think is underrated as Bond as most people will probably say Um, I think this film though is the the strong one because Living Daylights was still a bit too more I think there's quite a few uncomfortable lines he has to say like the um, salt corrosion line which he really struggles his way through yeah. and that always kind of detracts it for me License to Kill is I think what Dalton wanted Bond to be like and he always wanted to be a bit more like the uh, literary Bond so yeah which you know I always feel the first film suffers from the fact that they're writing for the previous actor so something yeah. I don't like about To Live and Let Die is that a lot of Roger Moore's lines are really Sean Connery lines they put on here and that's why like The Man of the Golden Gun very much some people have argued it's more like an episode of The Saint and I saw the episode I uh, saw The Saint yes. recently um, but I tell you, my favourite thing about uh, Man of the Golden Gun, my favourite in this moment, this favourite may change. Um, yes, of course. As, as, as they always do. As they always do. <laughs> he only kills one person, and it's the person he's been sent to kill. Um, so most of the other films, he's got quite the body count. Yeah. <laughs> which I always like it when the villain kills more than the main hero. Otherwise, it, it does get into a very strange area if the, it's kind the of hero what is should... killing vast numbers of people. It's what should really happen. Like, okay, like right and wrong. Okay, who's going to kill more, right or wrong? Well, actually, right does. <laughs> like, okay, so like we've got a little God of War now coming onto the scene. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I can see that side of the thing. That's quite interesting. That's a good take. I like that. And then I like Tomorrow Never Dies, which is kind of a comic book feel in some ways. Um, he is blazing yeah. bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I think like I. Goldeneye is my favourite Brosnan film. Uh, Brosnan's my favourite Bond, to be completely honest. Uh, but Tomorrow Never Dies is always my complete, my my guilty pleasure Bond. It's always the one. It's I did a, I did. There's the rankings on Instagram ages ago mm. where you did your top five Bonds, and I think Tomorrow Never Dies was number three for me. Oh. And lots of people were like, "What? <laughs> where, where did that come from?" And lots of it is nostalgia based because I can remember playing that VHS over and over and over and over because I loved it. I remember playing the video game too. Um, but Brosnan's on top form. The ending is a bit like Under Siege. Have you ever seen that film? The uh, oh, yeah. Steven Seagal film. Yeah. Under Siege 2. Yes, which exactly. Is... On the train. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually Goldeneye. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. Um, it gets a bit Under Siege at the end. And there's the whole scene where he's dual wielding and all that sort of stuff. And it's a little bit silly, but I think it's just done so well. And I love Jonathan Price as Carver. He's fantastic. Um, Goldeneye gets it for me because I think Goldeneye's just a better put together the film. And I think that like, Goldeneye's also... If someone's never seen a Bond film before, the first Bond film I show them is Goldeneye. That's always the one I go to. Um, just because I think it's still quite tightly put together. There's a decent enough plot twist that they could, they could probably guess if they know who Yanis is, um, just as a entity. And I, I just think it's a nicely put together film. Tomorrow Never Dies, though, is just fun. I can put that on at any time of day, on any day, in any mood, and I'll enjoy myself, I, which I can't say about Goldeneye. So maybe that should be my favourite. <laughs> again, we're mentioning again whether it's light or not, right? So for me... My favourite Marvel superhero is Ant-Man because it's light. You know, it's a comic book film and I'd quite like a comic book film to be light. (laughs) Yeah, understandable. Completely understandable in that one. Yeah. It depends on my mood, I guess. I generally like a light film at the moment, but I know when I was reading the books, I desperately wanted something like Licence to Kill. And that's kind of thinking, if only there was more like this. So your eyes went up in my estimation at the time. Hmm. Understandable, yeah. When you compare it to the books, it's always interesting quite how quite how much of a change there is and, and lots of people say especially talking about roger and talking about later connery that like it was a bit a bit too campy is a bit silly it's what the franchise needed to get through that period yeah. of time there's a reason it was successful yeah it's different to what it is now and right now apparently craig is what we need to be successful and i'm glad they're doing what they're doing but this will be a very specific point of time for bond i mean yeah. even though he's only ever served under one queen which blows my damn mind <laughs> uh, there's still very specific periods of time here that are being represented by bond and i quite like that and yeah, with Craig, uh, seeing as we're moving fluidly on through all the Bond actors, with Craig, um, I kind of call him the tragic Bond. Not That's not a personal yeah. preference of opinion or anything. He is just the Bond where all the sadness has happened. And I'm kind of glad they're doing it. I'm kind of glad they're trying the story arc. Maybe it's not working in some cases. I think it's working in some, but not all. I'm glad they're giving it a shot. They're doing something yeah. a bit different. And I appreciate that. Uh, do I want to see it again in the next Bond actor? Probably not. I'd like to go back to a little bit more Brosnan. Of course, he's my favourite. Um, but I'm glad they've tried it, and I'm glad they're going through with it. And yeah, um, Craig is one of the best actors to portray Bond. I think as a as a as a as a someone who is an actor, shall we say, 
and Skyfall is my favorite Bond film of all time. Uh, like, so that's got a that holds its own merit. Of course, I, Skyfall gets a lot of its critics for the plot holes. Um, lots of it for me was based on basically what 2012 was like having the olympics watching it with my dad for the first time having the entire experience the moment enjoying it and loving it so i'm a little bit biased on that front uh, but i know lots of people's favorite is casino royale um there are some people who like quantum Solace, and moving swiftly on there's nobody who likes specter <laughs> <laughs> <Wow. laughs> uh, no from what from what i've seen though as someone who doesn't mind specter wow people really don't like that film as someone who i, I had a perfectly good time watching it out of the woodwork, everyone is just ranting on that film at the moment. <laughs> I always feel that, you know, first the film is new, and then it's old, and then eventually it becomes classic. So at the moment, it just feels old. It was five years ago. People are impatient for the new one. Um, I mean, I should say, my favourite, Daniel Craig, is Quantum Socks. I really oh, love that film. Uh, and it was immediately, as soon as I saw the film, it was my favourite. Um, interesting. Now that's... This has been one of the more entertaining things to watch in the fandom because there's that it, Quantum of Solace is the Marmite Bond film. Oh, like yeah. you, you love it or you hate it, and for for the for a British-based podcast, that's the most British reference I can make. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I'm just reaching over uh, to tell you my my Marmite. Yes, you know, one of the first things I bought when I came to the US was a jar of Marmite. Of course, uh, absolutely, sir. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. It's interesting. Um, was the next thing. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> this is it! I I love it. This is exact. This is the um, these are the ambassadors we want. You know? <laughs> this is equivalent to wearing my Union Jack uh, Union Jack socks still. My <laughs> <laughs> my beans on toast, Quantum Solace. Boom. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. So Quantum Solace, I must say, I kind of fall on the not as affection, not affectionate, not as the as enjoyable end as others. I have my um, I have my things I take away from it. Certainly, um, it's intriguing though. I quite like that people, regardless of what they feel about it, are just happy to say it. And that's the thing I like, because if you go into other franchises, people are kind of kind of scared to say, oh, I dislike this or I like this. People in the Bond franchise, I like Skyfall. No, sorry, I like Quantum of Solace. I hate Quantum of Solace. I'm not sure about Quantum of Solace. I love how they just come out and say it. And it yeah. provides really fascinating conversations. I've been witness to and been a part of so many conversations about people's preferences, and it's always different. I yeah. lo love that. But... I'm quite relaxed about those preferences. I mean... Yeah, my other franchise very much is Star Wars. I'm a huge, huge Star Wars fan. Um, and, yeah, I, I sometimes have to be careful to say, you know, I do love the prequels, actually. That, that's probably where a lot of my love is, actually, in the prequels. I mean, the original trilogy is obviously fantastic, but I love the prequels. So. You know, the Camino stuff, I don't mind it. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that one little mystery that everyone can only get to go on is Dick Tracy. Bit. Yeah, just a bit, yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely interesting with Bond as well. I think the the main the main debated for the it used to be View to Kill was the one that everyone did like discussed and debated. It's now turning into Quantum, and I wonder if there's a point you've made because it's now over well, it's what uh, thirteen years old at this point. I wonder if it's because you you said like the film it, the film's out the, the new is old and then people start to properly form opinions about it. Are we in that stage where people are starting to make up their minds about it? Do you think? Yeah, and I think it's like. Now we have a few other Daniel Craig films, right? So I think when it came out, people were worried, oh, we were going to have Casino Royale, we're imagining every film would be like that. Now it's Quantum Solace, we're imagining every film would be like that. All these films have been quite different. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Which I like, but I think that now we've got a range. People have a place to settle it. I think apart from possibly Connery, he's the most diverse film-wise. Because Connery went from quite serious all the way to full-on camp, let's be completely honest. I always thought uh, Roger Moore had the best range. I mean, he had seven films, which is an advantage. Uh, but I, I, always thought, yeah. I would have said he's one of the most consistent, I feel. Oh, I feel his films, he's pretty consistent, but his films, the tone of them varies hugely, to my mind. Yeah. From For Your Eyes Only, which is quite quite serious. Timothy Dalton could have done that film very happily. Uh, Good point. <laughs> whereas Moonraker, I don't think any of the others could do happily. Like, yeah, no, that's very. That's that's a very interesting point. Is it? And again, having these conversations with Bond fans, this is the sort of stuff that comes up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was saying the only other person who has done it is Daniel Craig. He did the voiceover for the video game Legends, but one of the best levels is the Moonraker level. Yeah, and it works weirdly well with his voice in it. I was kind of thinking, oh, we could do this again. 
Yeah, that's I, I can I can understand that. Oh, yeah, he was very good, and also um, Bloodstone. I'm not sure if you played that oh, one. Yes, that, that was a, a that was a fantastic game. That was a really good one. Some favourite Daniel Craig films. It could be Bloodstone, to be honest. Yeah, let's. I'd, I'd happily go for that. I'd happily if if um, No Time to Die just turns out to be Bloodstone the film. I'm sold. I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But yes, yeah, I think it's. There's always so many talking points of Bond. It's one of my favorite things about it. Like we we coming onto this podcast, like oh, we have some topics to discuss. We just started talking about Bond. I just yeah, realized yeah. we never specifically asked a question. No, no, I have ten <laughs> questions. We have currently done none of them. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Maybe now is the time for me to introduce the questions and then finish the podcast and let people send in their answers. Oh. <laughs> because. I, I don't know if I... Yeah, the first time we met, I explained this, but it was, it was a year ago, I think, now, so maybe you've long since forgotten. The reason I have these 10 questions about Bond is because I used to manage a language centre in China. And I was trying to explain British culture because if you ask the students, what do you want? They'd always say, culture. But culture is... What is it? <laughs> you know, you could have a whole other podcast on what is culture. Um, so I used to take Bond as kind of a Trojan horse, as something they may be familiar with, um, they would definitely confuse it. They'd say their best Bond is Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> which baffled me at first. But then when you search for James Bond on Baidu, which is the Chinese version of uh, Google, um, you do actually get Mission Impossible as one of the Bond films, and it's Tank 007. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I see. Well, to be fair, the dude's got a fantastic surname. Just putting that out there. Cruise? <laughs> <laughs> no, Hunt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the only the only thing I'll ever prove. I, I I've not, I've not seen much of the Mission Impossible films, so just knowing it's Ethan Hunt, he's he's putting he's putting the name out there, and I'll take it. <laughs> I saw the the whole of the original TV running. Um, oh yes, so the um, with the uh, the fuse going across the screen, right? Yeah. And I loved it at the beginning. You had Ethan Hunt or whoever is the main character in it, um, selecting from a range of photographs who he wants from this mission. And it was always cool. They're regular cast of actors, but they wouldn't use the whole stable every episode, right? So kind of interesting. You'd see who'd be in it. Um, uh, wasn't Martin Landau one of the ones who came up frequently? Or was he in a different series? Like The Man with a Million Faces? I honestly don't remember their names. Um, I, th- I think that was Mission Impossible, but I may be wrong. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Yes. That was a bit surreal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think cause I, it's, it's interesting at the time this all started coming when Spy Mania took over. There's very much the American side of TV and the British side. And I've fully gone onto the British side because it's easier to access here. Like Mission Impossible to get the box set is quite difficult. So I've had to kind of like default fall onto it. So we get stuff like John Drake, uh, Patrick McGowan, The Prisoner, um, that sort of thing, which are some of my favorites. But yeah, just like a few moments of um, uh, like the Avengers, for example, Patrick McNee, Dinah Rigg, with some, some Bond staples in there too. Um, it's quite interesting how, yeah, the Spy Mania stuff was clearly the inspiration for the series, but then it just went somewhere completely different. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing for me of, um, like in Turkey, the number one highest grossing film all time in Turkey is a Turkish spy film. And it's very clearly based on the Bond films. In fact, the crew who worked on Quantum of Solace, uh, I can't remember if it was before or after, but they did the stunts for the film. Oh, really? But it is very, very Turkish. They've changed a lot. So, for example, in Western films, you have one big hero. Right? So, Mission Impossible is a Tom Cruise vehicle, yeah. um, True Lies, an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Uh, but in Turkey, you have ensemble casts. Right? There's very rarely a film which is all about one person, it's about mm-hmm. a group of people. So, yeah. you have the Bond, but you have two other people um, a handsome guy and a tough guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> And the witty, the witty sidekick at the back. <laughs> <laughs> like the A-Team, yeah. The yeah, there you go. Friendly uh, show. <laughs> it's also very different in terms of how it treats violence, because we talked about that earlier, right? So in a Bond film, you know, the villains get shot and they kind of fall out of camera. You yeah. don't see the bodies lying on the floor. No. Um, they, 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 also, they also get shot and don't bleed. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> they put the hand over the wound where the wound will be and go, ah, and fall over dramatically and then they're gone. <laughs> Whereas in a Turkish film, once they get shot, the camera actually pans down to the body. So as the character walks away, you're panning over that sea of bodies. Um, Interesting choice. It's kind of interesting if you looked at the Iraq war footage, um, you know, on CNN and BBC versus Al Jazeera. There's a similar difference. Um, So so it's interesting. It's all in a cultural context, right? Um, Yeah. Wow. Everyone has their own version of Bond. It's kind of interesting. How a culture is 
Yeah, I like that. I, I like that. Yeah, to be fair, you know, take it, adapt it, make it what you want it to be. Why, why not? And of course, the villains in the Turkish one are all American. Of Pretty course, yeah. It's rapidly anti-American film I've ever seen, so it's one I haven't shown to get um, <laughs> yeah, that might, mind, that might. I feel weird showing it. <laughs> that might be one that you just save to your personal memory, as opposed to you know showing. <laughs> I know. I did read that it was released in a very few cinemas in the United States. Even that was pretty shocking um, to me. Yeah, of course. But again, you make the villains who, who you want to be the villains. So for us, the Germans. <laughs> for Americans, for some reason, the British. I have no idea why. <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't listen to this podcast either. <laughs> she has far worse things from me day to day than I ever goes in these podcasts. <laughs> Fair so, enough. I was once in a my master's in accounting, finance, and so uh, my accounting lecturer was uh, making a joke about his wife. Um, and then one of the students was like, I'm recording this lecture. What, what if I send it to her? And he's like, what do you mean? She's my wife. She knows me. I'm going to go home and make 10 jokes way worse than that. <laughs> okay, good point. Well, good point. Well made. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah, we were talking about the questions. <laughs> so, like I say, I use Bond as a, shamelessly, as a Trojan horse for British culture. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I, I kind of quickly had to come up with was, like, what do they know? Um, so Bond was not released in China when it first came out, um, or in the Roger Moore era, or in the Timothy Dalton era. Eventually, Pierce Bros and some of those films were put out. But as I say, it's kind of generic Western film. So I could ask what nationality is Bond, and some would not know. Um, oh, really? Oh, wow. So it's not seen, it's, it's a general, it's a non-Chinese film. So what they know is he's not Chinese. Um, yeah. Which I guess is kind of fair, they have enough of their own stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, so, so then I ended up coming up with this list of 10 questions that seemed to produce useful stuff. So it was, what does he wear? Does he always get the girl? Who are his friends? Who are the bad guys? Why do women like him? Slash, why does anyone like him? Yeah. And have, why does the past trouble James Bond, which gets into the whole likeness, seriousness stuff that we were talking about. And then I just put the one word, technology. Technology, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because one of the students said to me, what's the difference between James Bond and Batman? Doesn't he just have gadgets that get him out of every situation? Uh, I would say Batman works for himself. Bond works for a uh, works for a company. Well, I say company, that's, works for an organization. That's, that's a good one. What does he drink? Is he strong? Obviously, Daniel Craig is physically strong. I said define strong. <laughs> the whole point yeah. is these are very, very open questions. We can have an hour on each of them. And finally, is he a good man? Hmm. Well, I've got the questions up here with me as well. Right. Should we try and should we try and lightning round them? Go through them as quickly as possible. Okay. okay. So, uh, let's go with number one. What does he wear? Uh, I'd say the two standouts are probably Tom Ford and Brioni. Uh, but if we're going to the books, he just wears a suit. Uh, what would you yeah. answer me for that one? Yeah, I'd say my model of suits is still pretty well. Pierce Brosnan, Quantum of Solace specifically. I really like those suits and none of the others. That don't I see. <laughs> Understandable, yeah. They, they see, well, the um, Quantum, Sword, uh, Quantum Solace was the first of the Tom Ford introduction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a hell of an introduction too. <laughs> yeah. Um, does he always get the Does he always get the girl? No. Uh, sometimes the girl is the bad guy. Uh, to, to yeah. phrase it in a very specific way. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, ask about. Oh, and does he always get the girl? Just ask him about his marital status. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit harsh, right? Um, who are his friends? I'd say friends. We've probably got what Tanner and Lighter. I'd say who his actual friends are the ones that stand out for me. And of course, Tanner is in the films a fair bit, but Lighter. De- sorry, Tanner definitely stands out in the books as more of a friend. Yeah, I was kind of weird. Who is Felix Lighter? Every single different actor who's played Felix Lighter, I'm amazed that none of them look like the guy in the books. I'm also to don't have the consistency of the books because obviously in the books in Living at Die the book there's a, a pretty horrific sequence of events happens to Felix and that changes how he acts and how he yes. well does any basic thing for the rest of the book and that's a nice continuation and because he has that um, thing shall we say yeah. uh, it kind of helps you define the character and it's a nice con- you, you understand him and see him as your friend because it's, re- it's always referenced 
doesn't really come up at all in any of the films. The fact that the new actor every time kind of like, oh, here's his token Felix, as opposed to like his yeah. his friend in the CIA. And also, I mean, I have to get into what it is, right? Because for me, it's one of the most interesting differences between film and book, um, which is that Felix does become disabled. And yeah. we don't have disabled heroes in the movies. You know, there's no. a character in the book with a scar on his face, and it's James Bond. It's, yeah. not, it's not blow, blow felt villainous because he he's too perfect. Yeah. So that, that flip, because for me, that Felix has a disability, but the way he overcomes it and becomes a heroic character. Yeah. Uh, the way there's a whole thing about Fleming. He loves the having someone who's equal but inferior in a in a, in a way in a way or another. And I think that's one of his ways to get Felix on the side for that. I think yeah, I think Felix becomes a very strong character as the books go on. And by the time you're reading, um, oh gosh, what was it? By the time you're reading Thunderball, and Felix turns up, you're happy. You're like, oh, Felix is here. It's yeah. brilliant. When Felix turns up in, uh, well, let's say uh, Casino Royale, I was like, oh, okay, of course Felix is going to be here. It's ticking a box. It was a different yeah. style of enjoyment, um, should we say? But yeah. It's, it's a relationship that I feel is definitely portrayed incredibly well in the books, but doesn't come across that well in the films. And I've, I've heard it said, I don't know if it's true, that one of the writers kind of didn't like the idea of Bond talking to other men. He wanted to do beautiful girls only. I was just thinking, actually, I love those scenes. One of my favourite things in, say, Diamonds of Forever is the diamond expert. Yes, and he was always yeah. one of my favourite characters. I'd often yeah. say, you know, if I could be anyone from the film, I'd be those random experts, like the Bank of England expert who talks all about this. Because I often imagine they must have an incredible backstory and then this is it. They've made it. They are now the yeah. world expert on a thing. Well, so much so in the books as well. Bond's like, it, like Fleming, Fleming loves to write Bond. Bond went into a meeting expecting to be bored. And by the end, he's like, questions, questions, answered. Like, he's, yeah. he's actually enthralled by it. It's one of those nice little touches. And with Felix, with Felix in particular, um, the banter they have between them, talking about the cars they drive, the constant mm. like one-upmanship between America and Britain, <laughs> it's so well done in the books. It's, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So... He's a bit Johnny No Man's in the films, and <laughs> yeah, it's a bit sort of like, oh, we got this actor in, we got this actor in. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they're trying to do that with, um, oh goodness me, I've forgotten his name. Uh, they're trying to do it with the modern films by having the same actor each time. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey, is it Jeffrey? Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey something like that. Something. Yeah, but... uh, something, something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's when I see Felix Hutton in the in the films, I'm like, oh, there's Felix. As I said earlier, when you see him in the books, you're almost happy to see him. I didn't. I read Thunderball for the first time quite recently. I didn't expect to see Felix in that, even though I know he's in the film. I wasn't expecting there to be that similarity. It's actually it's actually quite nice. I, I like yeah. that guy as a character. I feel Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace has got it with uh, Felix. Yeah. Very often thought was like um, he's always like the older version of what Bond should be, right? So when Bond's just wearing a t-shirt and a cardigan, there's Mathis wearing a very nice suits just sort of wandering around and it's kind of like the same style as Super Pierce Brosnan I've been wearing yeah. and then later on um, Daniel Gray would be more suited up uh, yeah just a, a bit. bit of a mm. mental uh, and of course with Felix as well um, we've got coming back in No Time to Die so that should be an in- in- interesting yeah. continuation of the story yeah exactly so uh, yeah. and I have to say Tibbet in A View to a Kill <laughs> you can see the friendship on the screen. I mean, a oh, lot yeah. of a lot of the, the joshing between them is improvised because they've been friends for so long with two actors. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's two experts completely comfortable at what they're doing. And you can't help but appreciate that. And also hashtag justice for Tibbet, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are the bad guys? We got Spectre, the uh, special executive uh, for counterterrorism revenge extortion, and Smirsh in the books. But of course, by that point, they didn't want to actually put in real life people as bad guys. They use the use that uh we have blowfeld is the main bad guy who's turned up more times in the films than in the books and apart from that normally it's people who with a bit of a napoleon complex and kind of just want to cause a bit of trouble um and maybe in some cases like we have in the most recent films uh bond's stepbrother <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, that's what twist ever <laughs> exactly they love it um this is an interesting you mentioned that uh, blowfeld's been more more often in the films than books um yeah, I was genuinely surprised. Uh, yeah. In my head, as a child, Lothar's always the baddie. I was genuinely yeah. surprised when I went through the film as an adult. He's not there as much as I had thought. Yeah, it's there's three books it's the blowfeld as well as the, the specter slash blowfeld trilogy and yeah. yeah you kind of expect it to be more like you expect him to be popping up so much because he's so much a part of like common knowledge of bond and pop culture yeah. which is always interesting but always fascinating one of those things and of course everyone always imagines donald pleasance's um uh portrayal of uh blowfeld that's 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 my one's always so we say yeah oh good oh nice uh <laughs> next up why do women like 007 why does anyone um 
With this one, I, as someone who is famously not a woman, um, I'd imagine that the reason they like him is probably the sense of danger. Oh. I'd imagine. There's a, there's a great quote attributed to um, Formula One racers, and my other thing apart from Bond is mm. Formula One and motor racing. It's something I passionately love and something I try to do as much as possible. Um, there's a racing driver called James Hunt, no relation, unfortunately, uh, but he always claimed that women uh, reacted differently to men who were closer to death, which, of course, was his way of like, trying to you know, really one-up the fact he was an F1 driver and he's a little bit of a cock. Um, but I, it kind of makes sense in this case. You know Bond's going to be a dangerous sort of person. There's something alluring about that. Not necessarily saying it's going to make you something that wants to sleep with the guy, but it's something that makes you want to have a conversation with him maybe and understand a little bit more about him. At least that's what it comes across as to me. This is a completely fictional character, so I might be way off on that front. <laughs> in which case, we can say the reason women like him is because Ian Fleming wrote it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have it well, I say, in the 60s, 50s, yes, 2020, oh no. <laughs> Um, why does why does anyone like him? I imagine because he gets the job done. Because he 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 gets he regardless of whether or not it's done correctly, he mm. does get the job done, and he put and he always puts the job first. It's um the thing Trevelyan said um always uh, always loyal to the mission, not to your friends, all that sort of stuff. Like I imagine people like him in management <laughs> because he gets the job done. He's like yeah, he's, he's got a high success rate, and he's still alive. That's pretty good. Which is interesting. I mean, you know, he gets the job done. But they often don't like him, right? So Goldeneye is the one you liked. Um, you mentioned that you like this. And Pierce Brosnan, you know, he gets taken down by N first meeting, as you say, oh, you're a misogynist dinosaur. And then the women throughout it are putting him down. Um, mm. And then the man with the golden gun, which I love, you know, who'd want to kill me? And M immediately gives him a list of, you know, outrage. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> M is on one in that film. M is just so pissed off. It like makes cute. so much sense when they adapt it from the book, and it's one of those yeah. strange things that gets left in. Um, he's having a tough. I'd say, without giving away a potential spoiler for *Man with the Golden Gun*, I'd have loved to have seen that scene. Yeah, in the, that would have been <laughs> something. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, does the past trouble James Bond? Uh, yes, to a degree. Um, we see it. We see it referenced both in the books and the films at almost an equal amount, to be completely honest. Vesper comes up in the books just as much as Tracy comes up in the films, and that's the main crux there. Uh, with Craig, we've had a bit of a Vesper overload, uh, <laughs> but it makes complete sense. It, make, it makes complete sense, though, for the bond that they're trying to portray. Um, yeah, I think the thing I've always found the thing I've always I've always found interesting is how does Bond does he have a coping mechanism for it? And I imagine that's what his job is. I imagine the reason he keeps his job going is because after losing his parents after having all of this trouble with certain women in his life vesper tracy having all um in the books he, co he constantly talks about how he doesn't like killing people mm. and i imagine his job is his coping mechanism okay sure he's killing people he doesn't like doing it but he's doing the right thing for queen and country he's doing what he perceives is right and that's his way around it granted it's making him yeah granted it's right so, yeah i mean i know a lot of people who've you know, been in the military left the military the military you know it gives you stuff to do yeah, it's busy. It's a, it's it's an interesting job. There's no denying it. I mean, it can be stressful and upsetting and difficult, but it's interesting, right? Almost any other job is pretty boring by comparison. Yeah, it just is. It just is. And of course, and the thing that Fleming loved as well as Bond, the globe trotting element, and clearly he yeah. loves going on different locations, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, he loves going around the world on what is it? Um, unlimited expenses, which Fleming mm. had once in his life, and then yeah. gives, it to, <laughs> gives it to Bond forever. License to spend. Um, <laughs> Which I think... you will have license to kill or license to break the traffic laws. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a reference to Golden. I love. Uh, was that tomorrow never dies? Tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow never dies. Yeah, that's the um, yeah. not to break the traffic laws. Yeah, oh, <laughs> separates the men from the boys. Um, techno <laughs> technology, films, yes, book, no. <laughs> you get interesting little yeah, things in the books. You get loads. Of, you get. You get devices, but I feel like you don't get technology in the Bond films. You get, like, Little Nelly and the, the Lotus that goes underwater. So for some people, yeah. it's iconic. And then for some people, like I said, the, the Man of the Golden Gun doesn't have much in the way of hardware there. Not really. Q's there to analyse a bullet. Yeah. You've got that. But it's... Of course, it, it's one of the things that's exaggerated with the areas that we live in. Of course, like, yeah. I remember watching Quantum of Solace for the first time in the cinema. And that huge, like, table tablet they have. Yeah. I remember seeing that being like, absolutely not. That is yeah. ridiculous. Who could ever have that? Now it's literally in my pocket. <laughs> and I use it every single day. It's, 
insanity. So it's... I watched uh, Thunderboard, one of my relatives, when I was young, who worked for the government, and, they, and you know there's that big briefing scene in which all the paintings raise up and you've got these beautiful screens up. Yeah, I can't see a Ministry of Defence supporting that, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that too, to be fair. Maybe formed is the fantasy that it's written with money. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you've hit that. You've hit that far too squarely on the nose there. Well, there's a similarity with Batman. You see, Batman's greatest superpower is license to spend. Um, yeah, just a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what does he drink? I mean, the film is it's the famous martini shaken, not stirred. Uh, he also has Heineken um, because sponsorship. Um, and in the books, he has this similar sort of drinks. So he has something called a Vesper, which is also repeated in Quantum of Solace. Um, he, he's quite a fan of bourbon in the books, really, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. That so comes up quite a bit. Whatever local to wherever he is in the books. Um, so there's there's a list. I think there's a whole book on what, what he drinks. Um, mm. So it is. He, he drinks the local thing just as he will eat the local food. Um, yeah. And I like it. So they didn't want to give Roger Moore the, the shake and not stirred line. So I believe he never says it. So he goes to Bourbon, and then they switch back um, to Martinis with Timothy Dalton, and then they switch back to Bourbon for Beatrice Brosnan, and then they switch you know, for Daniel Craig. So I like this, that different generations have a different memory of what he drinks. Yeah, and there's a, Smurf, is, Smurf is one that's popped up a fair few times too. You yeah. saw in like Doctor No, them coming back into Mine Never Dies with one of my favourite scenes of the film, yeah. that look he has. So cool. Um, yeah, it's always an interesting one. One thing he never drinks, though, especially, and this is a huge noted in the books never drinks tea yeah. he blames tea for being the downfall of the british empire <laughs> with zero explanation zero context <laughs> yeah it's just there he just doesn't like tea let's like don't ask about it move on ask bond about something else just don't ask him about tea <laughs> yeah i mean I, I the other person i've interviewed twice is kane who's an expert on kind of british culture and chinese culture and we talked about tea called a deep dive into tea yeah. And I asked him about this because he is a true expert on British culture and tea. He lives in the place in China where we got the word tea from. Wow. Um, so, so it's from a language called Minahua, which is uh, called a, a local language in China. It's only spoken by millions and millions of people. Um, so their <laughs> word for tea is pain. So we got it from them. Oh, um, I see. Interesting. So I asked him, do you have any theories on it? And he had absolutely not. No. No. Nope. Zero. <laughs> Doesn't like tea, likes coffee boom that's literally it it's it there's there's it's it's one of the things for fleming who does write quite subtly on occasion bizarrely it's in, it's shocking that this is just okay no i've said it that's it <laughs> don't ask <laughs> me anything about it it's a sensitive how subject. many years later are we talking about 70 years later we're still talking about that's why my handle is fleming never dies this one sentence rolls on forever good point very yeah. interesting Right, we've got two more to go. Uh, is he a strong man? Uh, physically, yes. Emotionally, I'd say yes over time. I'd say that's one that grows, certainly. It's one that's... He has moments of weakness. I mean, obviously, the, the main thing about Bond is that women are his weakness. So, obviously, there's always <laughs> going to be some sort of chink in his armour. Um, depends. Does it, take, is it, well, does it take a strong man to save the world so many times? Well, I have to you know, say at this point, I did ask Pete Brooker from Taylor's Love this question, and he said, well, a man's strength should be measured by grip and how he can grip onto things. So he's gripping onto a train in um, Octopussy. He's gripping onto the elevator in Skyfall. He's really good at gripping onto things. Yeah. <laughs> gripping. But that's the issue. He also grips onto the past. Boom! My mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Podcast. That's my... That's... <laughs> just cuts there um yeah i obviously physically bond is meant to be very strong and that's that's presented in the books as well and knowing that you like the books so much i've definitely focused on this because i love the books i mean dr no fighting off a giant squid was hanging onto a fence after a little tube of like torture yeah that's superhuman strength at that point i mean considering that in diamonds are forever he was complaining about climbing down a rope into um tiffany's window but then can go through this for miles uh, yeah guy guy's pretty strong <laughs> It's really endurance in that. And I find it very interesting, the capacity to endure is uh, very strong in the books. Um, he, he talks about like getting into the animal element of it. He talks about getting, to, getting really deep and not animalistic, but like just, I forgot the particular phrase he uses, this, but there's a, there's a, there's another level he goes to, which of course, um, you've got to consider Bond at this point, but you have to consider him as some level of superhuman, to be fair. Mm-hmm. For someone who's hit the world so many times, yeah, I mean, it's, you kind of have to go there. <laughs> All the stories together are just one person that's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> yes. and, he's, and he still never swears. 
But with strength, until Craig, all like um, you know, like Jaws. I feel in all the Bond community, I've never met somebody who doesn't like Jaws, and there are somebody who shows the absolute weakness. It really, you're pulling a face. Do you not like Jaws? I'm not a fan of Jaws at all. At last, I found someone. <laughs> I really don't like the guy. I mean, yeah. it, he's too much of a comic book hit. Like, he's uh, not comic book. He's too much of a. Just, he's just a bit too silly. And I, I appreciate there are some meant to be silly Bond films, and I like that. And I can, I can enjoy as much as the next person. But there's something about Jaws I just don't like. Uh, it's definitely marred by Moonraker and the whole falling in love sequence and somehow surviving and the here's to us after the, the capture like that line. Um, but even in spy who loved me i as soon as i see a film where jaws turns uh, a scene where jaws turns up i'm aware i'm watching a film where jaws has turned up and i'm just so critically aware that i'm watching the film at this moment and that i'm sitting on a chair not enjoying it as much as i could have it just kind of, it just ruins the immersion for me now i know bond isn't meant to be a particularly immersive series this is just one that takes me out of the scene whenever i see it and i know that's going to be an unpopular opinion but <laughs> we're all about that here don't worry I yeah showed, uh... I showed some of my favourite Bond films to a friend of mine who was very keen to watch them in chronological order. He didn't grow up with them at all. Like, oh. I had no knowledge. Um, so when I showed him, he was like, I told him, this is interesting. This is where they completely diverge from the books. Which really the first one has nothing to do in any way with any of the books, uh, just the title. Uh, but he was sort of like, immediately, I guessed. Because it's the one that's, that follows your Hollywood formula. Like, yeah. Most of the episodes don't uh, until mm. that point. But it totally follows through. Kind of going around the world, maxing out those few. You know, it takes more locations, puts more on the big screen. But. It's strange because in the in the book you have an almost a jaws like figure, like you're almost there. But then the inclusion of the teeth and, and the, the the jaws the film was successful at the time is yeah. It's a little bit too much for me on that much okay. on that point. Yeah. Mm. But on the final one we have is Bond a good person? I think. Oh, they, uh, we both pulled exactly the same reaction though. We both went ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he's everyone's favorite anti-hero in my mm. opinion he's everyone's favorite bastard and i would claim to do the things he does he can't be a good person there's no way bond can be a good person to do the level of stuff he does like like to be right and to be wrong is different to be good than being yeah. good i feel and being right, you can do some pretty inhumane things in the justice of being right. And that's what many people have defended themselves as in the past. Like, I'm doing the right thing despite committing terrible atrocities. Good is a completely different matter. Good is something that we can all achieve on a very basic level. So therefore, it's not comparable. I don't think Bond is a good person because no good person can pull a trigger, can make the choice between life and death for certain people, and <laughs> can not call back so many women the night after. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Bond can be good. That's my standing on it. What do you think? Well, I mean, if you take that, is he a good sailor? Is he a good soldier? Is he a good you know, instrument for what he does? Uh, then absolutely. He's a brilliant. He's like the best soldier ever. Um, or best law the commander ever. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously it's in my mind. You know, do we have many pop culture sailors these days? Do we have many Royal Navy heroes? It's basically Bond and then going back to the 50s or 40s or 30s. Yeah. There's not many. The cool sea, stuff. that sort of stuff. Exactly. So if you want to see a role in the film, you have to go that far back. Like, look, mm. none of the participants in that film are alive. Many of the children are quite old. Yeah. <laughs> That's always yeah. an intriguing one. It's a, the the I always love the debate about good and right, uh, good and bad, right and wrong. It's always a fascinating one, and it's it's one that I've never been answered to, which is why I love talking about it so much. It's exactly. always going to be open for conversation. That always makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again giving it to my Chinese students. These are all questions I debate with Chinese students and try to try to you know, expand it out into British culture. And yeah, this was the one that never ends. What is yeah. what is a good person? Uh, exactly. I did read a brilliant article once that imagined all the different versions of James Bond from the films come to a party and what would they be doing? <laughs> As like Sean Connery might, you know, punch out a man and steal his girlfriend and off he goes. Um, yeah. Roger Moore's Roger, Roger Moore's got three women around him at the bar and he's, t- he's, t- he's just waxing lyrical about something. A con- conga line. You made a joke and no one else laughed. He'd probably laugh at your joke to make you feel good. Yeah. But he was the party bomb. Simply Dalton would leave early to go home and do some paperwork. Oh. <laughs> Daniel Craig would be at a bar crying over somebody. <laughs> now, he'd be talking to a woman about Vesper being like, <laughs> and the, the, the woman would want to go somewhere else. He's like, no, you got to listen to me talk about the love of my life. <laughs> What do you say Lazenby would be doing? Would Lazenby even turn up? I'm not sure. That's the one I'm blacking on. I'm, it's forgettable. What can I say? Um, 
fighting words. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. So Pierce Brosnan, I genuinely he was in the article, I can't remember what. What do you think Pierce Brosnan would do at the party? His bond. Uh, Pierce Brosnan's probably taking over making the the cocktails. He's probably like, I can do this better. <laughs> Here's a mojito. Right, here we go, guys. <laughs> a rare occasion when Bond doesn't drink a, a shaken, not stirred, or a bourbon. So yeah, yeah, that is the one variety of drink we have on the heat. So it's quite pleased to see it. Yeah. A location. Well, I must say, I do massively apologise for your ten specific questions meant to incite conversation, and I'm I'm sorry for <laughs> going through this as quickly as possible, lightning rounding it. <laughs> That's- this is acceptable, and it's a good end to the a good end to the podcast. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining me, my two time two time uh, interviewee. There you go. I'm so, I'm so glad you called me back. <laughs> Welcome back to third. Uh, well, let me know. I'm happy to. Thank you so much for having me on, and thank you everybody for listening. This has been lovely. So thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye.